Addiction is a chronic disease. Millions of people worldwide suffer from substance and behavioral addictions. An addict's life is often unmanageable, leaving the addict and his or her family and friends feeling completely powerless over the disease. Without treatment, addiction can result in disability or premature death. You are listening to Making an Addict. My name is DJ Burr, and I'm an addict in long-term recovery. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, behavioral addiction specialist, and best-selling author of I Just Wanted Love, Recovery of a Codependent Sex and Love Addict, now available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. I intend to bring you different perspectives about addiction from various sources, including other addicts in recovery, clinicians who treat recovering addicts, and family and friends of addicts to discover what makes an addict. Listener discretion is advised. To learn more about this podcast, check us out at makinganaddict.com or follow me on social media at djburr1022 on Facebook, thedjburr on Instagram, and at djburr1022 on Twitter. Thank you for joining me for episode three. I am speaking with Forrest Benedict this week, and Forrest and I are colleagues. We both are sexual addiction therapists, and we both are sex addicts in long-term recovery. So I appreciate having other addicts on the show, especially professionals who are willing to come forward and talk about their own experience, as well as how they treat folks who are struggling in addiction. So sit back and relax and listen to Forrest and I talk about his book and our experiences uh, as we discover what makes an addict. Welcome to another episode of Making an Addict. I'm DJ Burr, your host, and today I am talking with Forrest Benedict. Forrest is the author of Life After Lust. Forrest, welcome to the show. Thanks, DJ. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Can you tell our audience where you're calling from and uh, a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I'm over here in Fresno, California. And um, I am a, a sexual addiction therapist. That's my specialization. Um, I have the SAT-T certification. And um, so I, I'm a clinical director of LifeStar of the Central Valley, which is a sexual addiction treatment program. And um, additionally, I, I run the SAT-T program as well. So I train therapists to do sexual addiction uh, work. And um, I also just well, this book, Life After Lust. So um, that's a, that's a kind of like, we'll talk more about it, I'm sure, but um, kind of like a, a handbook for recovering sexual addicts. And, and I've been through recovery myself. And so that's kind of a little bit about uh, me in a, in, a, in a nutshell. I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Forrest sent me a copy of his book and I have been reading it and it's fantastic. And before we started recording, I told them that it would be a great uh, workbook as well. And so who knows, that might be coming in the near future. Uh, Forrest, how did you get into this work? Um, you know, it really, I, I never could have imagined being a therapist. I was a really shy uh, teenager and just really self-conscious and just never could imagine doing this type of work, but it really didn't come through my own recovery journey. Um, you know, growing up in now I look back and see that it was a pretty traumatic, uh, upbringing with an alcoholic bipolar father that was, um, pretty psychologically and even religiously, um, abusive. And um, growing up in that environment and being exposed to pornography at a young age 
and just really um, going into the secretive realm that that opened up. Um, you know, to, for me, it did become a you know really a double life and an addiction um, that that I could not um, get free from for many years until I got into treatment at age 24. Um, got into therapy, started um, taking my own recovery seriously, and then just really had a heart for helping other people get free also. And so um, that's that's why I went, went ahead and pursued my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And that's really what led me to Fresno to get that degree. And, um, you know, I always had it in my mind, this was the, the specialty I wanted to pursue. And even one of my teachers was like, you shouldn't be that specific. You need to learn everything. And so I, I, I just always had that in my heart that I wanted to help other people in this area. And so I w got my master's, got certified, um, got, got hired on here to do this work. And so now I'm just doing as much as I can to, to make a difference in this area. And, and I've always, I've always been a writer too. So, in that sense, like it's a really amazing thing that I could write this book and get it out there. Um, so that that to me is just kind of an act of something I'm just proud of myself for, you know, that I actually stuck with this dream of writing and created something that in my mind is a little bit risky to create because I did a lot of creative storytelling in the book and like it's, I don't know if you got this impression, but I felt like putting this book out there was kind of a a creative act because it's kind of unique in some ways. It is you know? very unique. I really appreciate uh, you using uh, stories from movies. Uh, I'm a huge yeah. movie fan, and so every time you reference a movie, I'm like, yep, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what yeah. he's talking about. I'm like, yes, I, I really appreciate that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's because I'm in this work and doing you know, doing this work personally, it's like I can't watch a movie without saying, Oh man, that'd be a great recovery metaphor, you know? <laughs> that's me all the time. I'm sure people get oh, yeah, tired of me saying it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, my, yeah. My partner and I'll be watching T V and I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna sign that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I had a lot of fun with that, um, with doing those, you know, movie metaphors. And, yeah, I'm glad. And, and, you know, it's really cool. Aaron Ralston, you know, I did that chapter yeah. um, from that movie, 127 Hours, where he mm -hmm. cuts off his arm. And I, I reached out to him to get permission to share that in my book. And he was the guy that, you know, cut off his own arm, Aaron Ralston, um, it was awesome because he was so supportive of me doing it. And he's like, yeah, send me a copy. And I don't know. It's just really awesome. That's part of the writing this book that was just unforeseen and awesome was connecting with all these people that I really respect. And I don't know, just that part of it was really fun. I always Even appreciate though, that when people respond, when you ask uh, or share something and, you know, they're not uh, unreachable, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's pretty cool. I had a similar experience last night. I reached out to my favorite uh, male artist, uh, his music. Um, I, I tweeted him and said, 
your music saved me from a cruel world. And he oh, liked wow. he liked my tweet, and I was like, "Oh my god, the best thing in the world happened!" <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so. yeah, these are they're actually real people out there, you know. They're um, that that was really unforeseen, but but yeah, it's it's great to see even other authors that are like, you know, that may not have known that we value their work or whatever. So that that's that's been really cool. Absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing just a few minutes ago about your experience growing up and what your what it sounds like was a dysfunctional household. And many addicts yeah. grow up in dysfunctional household, if not all. Um, and so yeah. the premise of this show is looking at what makes an addict. And so mm-hmm. I have been talking to people from all over the world about their perceptions of what makes an addict. So I'm curious. Do you believe that the things that happened in your family of origin uh, contributed to you becoming an addict, or is there more? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, what? pretty much the guiding theory that I use in my um, in all the work that I do and even understanding my own addiction is really based on attachments and even seeing um, addiction as an attachment disorder. And, and really being grounded. There's a great book by Flores. Are you, have you read that, Addiction as an Attachment Disorder? You know, it does not sound familiar, but I'll check it out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's been helpful to, to conceptualize sexual addiction in that way specifically, but probably fits with all addictions. But, yeah, I really see this, um, you know, kind of the basic ideas just when we're uh, when we grow up being um, abused or neglected or we have an addicted parent, um, really, you know, our, our, we don't form those secure connections that we need as kids of somebody that sees us and notices us and responds to us and cares for us. Like, we we need that coming into this world. Um, it's, it's essential. And, and so when we don't get it, it really sets us up to be vulnerable. Um, you know, we don't trust people. We don't seek them out for comfort um, because of our experience. And so I think it really sets us up to seek out something non-relational for comfort. And so if you, you know, have drugs or alcohol available or pornography gets introduced um, or food even, you know, we can so easily um, start turning to that for comfort and you know, after many years of doing that, I mean, we it's like we get this attachment, so to speak, with something that's really an addiction, and and we disconnect from those around us, and um, you know that's why that's why I see well, one, it's so difficult to to change that and to learn to reach out to people, you know, as part of our recovery or to connect with our own emotions or connect with our higher power. Um, but that's, that's really why I see the recovery process from an attachment perspective too, that, that we can, you know, somebody said we're wounded in relationship and we're healed in relationship. That's and true. I just totally believe that. Yeah. I could, you know, I buy into that as well. I spend most of my time in practice helping uh, clients uh, connect to healthier attachments. Yeah. 
you know, I, that's most of the work. Definitely. Wow. So you're bringing your own personal experience into your work and it has influenced your work. Um, do you believe that the healthy attachment piece or the unhealthy attachment piece is connected, is similar for everyone? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think it's just so foundational. Part of our humanity is just needing to connect. Um, you know, and for some of us, it's more severe than others, like, having extreme, you know, sexual abuse or physical abuse. Um, but I mean, these things really, here's the thing though. And, and this is kind of contradicting what I'm saying here a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Cause I'm seeing, I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing especially younger people that are addicted to pornography and some of them didn't have this type of, you know, attachment, uh, trauma earlier in their lives. And so, so what I'm seeing is that it's kind of like a different type of sexual addiction where they're addicted because the substance or pornography is addictive and not because they had some, you know, traumatic upbringing. So, so that's been kind of interesting to see that because it, it's, it's kind of like there's, kind of two veins of you know what leads somebody to be an addict i mean somebody could get addicted to meth or alcohol just because it's addictive you know exactly not because they have this background so i just think having this background makes us a lot more vulnerable to addiction you know that is true and i think there has been a change over the last few years especially around pornography addiction where these young folks are coming in early 20s and sometimes even younger and they're addicted to pornography and there's no trauma there's no trauma that can be even identified right yeah um yeah it is something different it's like a whole new animal and so we're having to to kind of research that and and make changes i think to some of Mm -hmm. the literature that is out there some of the material that is out there so it's important for us as providers and as folks in recovery to stay up on, you know, the new information that's coming out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think there's um, – I, I actually have found benefit in – I just started a group for, for guys that age, like in their 20s. Um, and so it's it's less focused on the trauma, but it's really awesome just having them together and working through this. And, you know, I, I use a lot of, I talk a lot about how pornography affects the brain and, you know, what are some healthy habits? Like I have that chapter in the book about the, the neuroscience of self-care, yeah. you know, what are the healthy habits that you can put into place that are going to strengthen the self-control part of your brain. And, you know, like, like I do that with everybody, but I think especially with that group, they're, they're really going to be, um, paying attention to the science piece of this and, and like they do care if, you know, they have erectile dysfunction or, you know, or if it's going to potentially, you know, hurt their relationships. Like I think once they realize that this is actually not usually helpful, um, you know, they, they can get free. 
yeah. from that. You know, and the you mentioned the erectile dysfunction, and that's how some of these guys end up in sexual addiction treatment because their primary care providers are saying, hey, I think this might be something more psychological. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so those are the folks that are coming into my office. Um, I want to uh-huh. uh, talk about uh, your evil genius. I, I really appreciate <laughs> that. Um, that you know the preoccupation piece for you. You kind of label the yeah. the evil genius because for some people in recovery they say the addict. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I have recently begun to say is um, my inner child. I really have this belief that yeah. it's my kid. It's my inner child who's trying to soothe, and he's trying to do yeah. it the best way he knows how. It just comes out. I think sometimes as that preoccupation with things that could be harmful to myself, because in the past, those things were soothing and I don't need those yeah. anymore. So can you talk yeah. about the development of your evil genius and how you're using that in your work today? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. Like I, I had all this insecurity about this chapter because I kind of felt like I was creating it out of just for my own experience and, and then after it, it's people have found it pretty helpful, I've realized. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just, I feel like I called it the evil genius because, um, you know, it's, it's like that part of me that as a recovering addict, like sometimes I'll get this, and this is especially true in the, I was active in addiction. I would get these just really creative ways to act out that were like, wow, where's that coming from? You know, um, that were like genius, you know, ways to get around my, um, you know, internet, uh, blocker or ways to wake up in the middle of the night and find something, some way to act out. And so, so yeah, I, I, I compare that to that really it's preoccupation. Um, and, and I agree with you totally that that part of us really was kind of like a self-protection, like here, here's a way to, to manage all the pain that you're going through. Um, but, and, and so I, I talk about ways that the evil genius kind of pulls us back into, uh, pursuing the addiction and, um, you know, like euphoric recall where we, remember all the great things, but forget about all the pain that was a part of it, of, of that way of coping. And so, um, you know, th- and this is where it gets interesting because I know in the chapter I talked about, um, I used the phrase throwing it under the bus. And, and that, that would not be how I would want to treat the inner child, you know, yeah. because I, I think, and this is kind of where I separate in my mind, because I, I see a huge part of our recovery being learning to love the inner child and learning to love and respond to with self-compassion and, and care to the inner child that's in pain. And so in that sense, I think in my own mind, I separate the inner child from the evil genius because the evil genius, I, I'd say, is more the, the voice that says, okay, you're in pain, so... So here's a great idea with how to deal with that pain. And so that's really not a great idea. That's really self-destructive. And so, um, 
in that sense, I, you know, I talk about this in the chapter, like we can thank the evil genius because just, just its presence is our, um, our chance to pay attention and say, Oh wow, there's there, maybe there's some pain I'm going through right now. You know, just because the evil genius showed up, there's something I need to pay attention to. There's some need I need to meet, you know, maybe I need to connect with someone or cry or, you know, take a nap, you know, like that. So, so I, I know I use that kind of more um, aggressive phrase of throw it under the bus, but it's more of, it's, you know, it's, it's more of not letting it run the show and, and doing what we can to disempower it, but thank it for being there. Um, and for me, I know I tell a couple of stories in the book, like, for me, I need to tell on myself. If I, that's what I talk about is if, if the evil genius is there and giving me some ideas about how I can act out, I need to tell on, I need to tell on it. I need to call my accountability partner or talk to my wife and say, you know, this idea just came into my mind. Um, you know, I, I don't want to indulge that in the future. And so just wanted to throw that out here and, you know, voice it and, and also realize that this is probably why it's coming up and this is what I need to do to take care of myself. So, um, I think externalizing it from ourselves is pretty helpful. Yeah. You know, then it's not like we're the ones trying to come up with some scheme to, to self-sabotage our own lives, you know? Right. I think that's helpful. My my inner child is uh, uh, quite creative when it comes to these types of things where uh, suggestions of how to act out or what to do in the future to get some addictive high. And sometimes I just say, wow, you're you're really funny today. That's not going to happen, but uh, I appreciate appreciate the effort. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think, yeah. I don't have kids, uh, but I, I hope to be a, a father in the future. And so I can imagine like having similar conversations with a little kid who is trying to be crafty to get something that he or she wants. And so yeah. I'm wondering if you, you're a father, and I'm wondering if there are things that yeah. you have been able to take from your experience of being a father and kind of apply that to your own recovery or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think in the way that I'm learning to relate to myself, you know, I, I can ask myself, is this something I would do to my kids? You know, if there, if my son comes crying to me, am I going to say, well, don't feel that here. Why don't you go eat this ice cream? You know, right? like if, I'm not going to neglect and do that to my kids, you know? And so why would I do that to myself? You know, it's like, I, I think I'm, I'm gaining a lot right now in this part of my recovery from the, um, uh, the, the program, really the book adult children of alcoholics oh yes and you know and they they talk a lot about this inner child work and learning to become your own loving parent and i love that you know like that's to me that's like the key of recovery is learning to love myself in a 
not a self-indulgent way, but in a way that really cares for myself emotionally and physically. Like I care what, what I'm feeding myself. I, I care about having boundaries like going to bed and, you know, self-neglect, self-neglect is very natural for me still. I, I wish I was better at it. <laughs> I'm better, better at caring for myself, but to me, this is part of that work. So yeah, I think being a dad has, does help me, you know, conceptualize that better and say, yeah, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this to my kid. If they had a hard day, I would probably let them, you know, take a bath or do something nurturing, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And in your book, you, you talk about uh, living a legacy. Is this book part of your legacy? Yeah, definitely. How did you, yeah, how I, did you come to the conclu- to the idea to write the book and, and put it out there for others who are suffering in uh, addiction? Um, you know, I have for the last couple of years been writing lots of articles and I, you know, put them in our local newspaper here in Fresno and done a lot of blogging. And, you know, I just, somebody I work with suggested I put it all together in a book. And, and I, that idea came to me actually last August. So it's been pretty quick getting this book together. But, um, you know, I just felt like a lot of the con. A lot of these concepts in the book are, you know, like if you were to spend any amount of time with me, a lot of these concepts you would you would know pretty well. You know, all my clients know that I'm like a self-compassion evangelist, you know. <laughs> I think that they have to master that in their recovery. And so, so part of this was just bringing all these articles together and then kind of putting them together in these, um, three different categories of mindset, mastery, and mission. And then kind of looking at this and saying, okay, how can I actually make this helpful for people? So it's not just a bunch of random stuff thrown together. And that's where I really looked at, okay, what are the, what are the take-homes that people need to really understand from this chapter? So I create those essential mindsets. And then the skills to master are like, these are the things people really need to practice. And, you know, it's not just, yeah, it's it's like, these are, yeah, I think if people realize they're trying to master these skills, they'll be a little bit more accepting that this is going to be a long-term process. You know, like getting your black belt is not overall overnight thing, you know, and then the mission piece, I really felt like that was very helpful and necessary because it's like, I believe that we don't just get free for ourselves, you know, that we, we come into this world with gifts and with dreams and with goals that are actually going to really benefit all of humanity. And so us getting free is just part of that story. And then we're, you know, like you or myself, you know, we're out of our pain comes our purpose is what I talk about that, you know, we have a chance to really make an impact in the world. And, you know, I do give some ideas in the book. Like I think we can play a big role in protecting kids from pornography and even making changes around accessibility to pornography and that type of thing. 
but ultimately this is each person's unique journey. And like, you know, if this makes you a, an awesome parent, um, to me, that's part of that legacy is not just about doing something that gets you attention and, or makes you famous or whatever necessarily, but it's more about what, what are you here for? How can you make the biggest impact, um, with your life and, and really have a fulfilling and meaningful life. So that, that was pretty important to me. And, you know, I I think hopefully that came across in the book as well. Yeah, I believe it did. And, you know, me uh, creating this podcast, as well as my other podcast, Journey On, is a part of my legacy. And so in my recovery, I had come to this point where I was like, what do I want to leave behind? Uh, Yeah. and, And so that's how these podcasts were born. I mean, I had already published a book, um, had published two books and I have a thriving practice and, um, I I still had this feeling that, um, I needed to do a little bit more. And so I started putting together some ideas and I just wanted to talk more about addiction and recovery as well as, um, for me, the trauma that uh, got me into addiction. So, you know, I was sexually abused as a child and uh, also physical abuse, mental abuse, spiritual abuse, and all of those things contributed to me becoming an addict. And so in my other podcast, Journey On, Men Healing from Sexual Abuse and Assault, I get to talk to men about their experiences and how they're healing. And and the majority of them uh, have dealt with addiction. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like I'm on the right path to creating space and information to share with people and allow other people to share with me their own experiences. And it's been an amazing journey. I mean, people from all over the world are listening and that makes me feel so good. But what's really awesome about it is that I felt good going into it, right? So it's yeah. not a way to, you know, numb myself as maybe seeking validation was in my active addiction. But, yeah. you know, it, it kind of, it fills my soul up to know that other people are getting help because um, yeah. we didn't get here by ourselves and we're not going to get out of it by ourselves, you know. Definitely. So we, we have to continue to come together as a community, as a resource to help one another. And so mm-hmm. I'm glad that you and I have been able to connect and talk about our experiences and share, you know, you've been, you've shared, you know, shared your information through your book. And now you're on the show talking about your experience. And I just want to say mm-hmm. thank you for doing that. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. No, it's an honor. And I love connecting with other people that are just passionate about helping others like yourself. And I mean, I think that's awesome that you're that you're doing this work and I'm certain it's making a difference. You know, that's that's the thing I've I've come to grips with with this book is I have to just trust that it's it's like a seed. You put it out in the, there in the world and you have you may have no idea who you're touching even with this show, but it's just trusting that because you're walking in alignment, you're doing the right thing for yourself, it's going to have an effect. And even if it doesn't, it does have an effect in you because you're doing 
what what you feel is right. So I think that's awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. So as before we wrap up, I want to make sure that the audience knows where they can grab your book and where they can reach you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, the book right now is available on Amazon um, in paperback or Kindle version. Um, and, you know, I can be reached at forest at forestbenedict.com, and that's forest with one R. Um, I also have, you know, lifeafterlust.com and a couple of different blogs, um, forestbenedict.com and uh, a couple different resources out there. Um, and you know what? I thought I'd mention really quick um, as we're getting close to, to finish here that this book, I was really intentional about it being for both males and females. Um, I just feel like that's always been part of my mission, I guess, is to to not forget everybody that struggles with this. You know, it's it's more touted as like a male issue, but I, I just know that that's not true. So anyways, I just wanted to mention that, that this is for males and females and, you know, people from all different faith backgrounds um, or no faith background. Um, but I just, I felt like including everybody in, in the helpfulness of this resource would be important. So, well, we appreciate it. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I'll make sure that our audience has the links that they need to get to your books and to your websites and blogs. And, um, hopefully you'll come back when you have some other things to talk about around, uh, addiction and recovery. And my hope is that it's when the workbook comes out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I will definitely let you know um, when when I get ready for the second round of whatever comes from this. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I wish you great success. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it was great talking with you, and I wish you the best as well. Thank you, Forrest. You're welcome. T take care. That was such a fun episode. Thank you so much, Forrest, for coming on to the show. Everyone, go out and go to Amazon right now and type in Life After Lust, Forrest Benedict. You can get his book today on paperback or Kindle. His book will help anyone who is struggling with sexual addiction. The stories and strategies are phenomenal. I highly recommend his book. I got it and I love it, and I will be referring to it in my sessions with my clients. So, Highly recommend it. Go out and get it today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Making an Addict. For all my listeners, I have a special gift for you. I created a seven steps guide to power up your recovery and you can access it today. Go to bit.ly slash seven steps guide. That's bit.ly slash the number seven steps with an S guide. Go ahead and go there now and get your free guide. Sign up for the newsletter and it will be sent to you in your email. Take care. Thank you for joining the discussion today on Making an Addict. In closing, I want you to understand that there are various opinions about addiction and what makes someone an addict. The opinions expressed here on today's show are those of the person who made them. I suggest you take what you heard, process it, and decide for yourselves what you believe in. If you have feedback or want to tell your story on the show, let me know by emailing makinganaddict at gmail.com or you can reach me on social media. Again, I'm on Facebook and Twitter at DJBurr1022 
and thedjburr on Instagram. Lastly, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be of service. Recovery saved my life and I will be forever grateful. I will keep giving back every opportunity I am given. Tune in next time to witness our ongoing discussion on Making an Addict. Making an Addict is produced by the Recovery Legacy Network, bringing you recovery on all fronts. Learn more at recoverylegacynetwork.com. Today's show featured music by CDK.